Yeah, parenting. So I, uh, I remember hearing the saying years ago, somebody said, uh, the days are long, but the years are short. Y'all heard that? I had no idea what that meant until I became a parent. And then it's legit, isn't it? Like everything that sounds so cliche about, oh, time flies. And a half to get to age 16 to get my license, right? Kids, you, you, a couple of y'all just got your license. You know what I'm talking about? It took forever to graduate high school. Like you don't ever think you're ever going to get there, ever going to get to, you know, your wedding or whatever. Like, and then you start, get the, you know, you get the wedding and then you start having kids. And then it's like, now you can't get time to slow down, right? And, it, and it, that saying starts to make sense. Um, my wife and I look at each other often and just kind of like shake our heads and say, can, can you believe we have five kids? Because like in our minds, we're still... 22-year-old kids that just got married. Like, like it, it doesn't, like how fast we got there, how fast we got here, right? And how quickly and how swiftly times are moving. Um, man, it's just hard to believe. Other people can't believe it either. I think, I think four kids is when people start kind of side-eyeing you. The fifth kid is when people will openly just say stuff to you. You know, like, are they all yours? Which for us, we foster, so I like to say something that makes them feel really bad. Right? Like, well, not really, but their parents chose not to take care of them, so we did. So <laughs> just leave that with them. Um, but yeah, you know, do you know what's causing that? I mean, all the things. People will just, they, you know, they will say, are you guys bored? Like, come on, people, no. And we drive a giant van, so that just draws all the attention to it. And, and just so you know, we do know that our gas cap is open. It's broken, okay? <laughs> it's broken. It's a giant van, everybody sees it, and then they go, oh, their gas cap's open, and everybody's really zealous to tell us that. I appreciate it. We know. Uh, I, I got to order a part. I don't even know what's broken. Anyway, so yes, it is, it is like, it, parenting makes, like, just, it feels surreal, and it's terrifying to realize just how quickly, like, we, we get there and how quickly life is moving. Some of you are, are still there. You're on the other side of that. You haven't, you, you haven't had kids yet, and, and some of you, that's by choice, right? You just haven't arrived at that season yet, and others of you, um, that, that's, a, that's a source of pain for you where you haven't been able to yet, and, and, and so I, I, I just want you to know just quickly, I just want to say that if that's you, if you are struggling and you're wondering why you haven't been able to get there yet, I just want you to know, like, the Lord sees you. He cares, and he, and he has a plan, okay? He wants to be near you in the midst of it, but he, he does have a plan. And so, um, but, but, but seriously, I want us to, to think about, if you do have kids, I want you to think back to before you did. Remember how you thought, like, you knew, you just thought you knew, or at least we, I did. I thought I knew how to raise the perfect little Jesus-loving, God-glorifying human, Right? Uh, you know, and, and maybe you even judged parents for their struggles. Did you do this? Thinking, man, my kids aren't going to act like that in a restaurant, right? My kids aren't going to, my kids aren't going to talk to me like that. Y'all have these thoughts? My kids aren't going to, you know, they're not going to throw fits like that, you know, and you just have the solutions, right? Fill in the blank, whatever your thing was. And then you actually have kids, right? And all that pride and all of that arrogance just goes right out the window. I th Mike Tyson, the, the boxer said, everybody has a plan. So you get hit in the mouth, right? That's kind of what parenting is like. You got a plan. You think you know what you're doing, and then you get these little humans, and it's uh, it's interesting, right? It's it's uh, Ray Romano, the the comedian actor, said that parenting is a lot like living in a frat house. No one sleeps. Everything's broken, and there's a lot of throwing up. Um, <laughs> And that reality hits at different times for different families. I know a lot of you guys had like this near perfect first child. How many of y'all, that, that was you? You had this near, you just thought, man, we're nailing this. This is going great, right? And then you have the second one and they are just born with extra demons to make up, right? Like they're just multiplying demons, right? And so um, Jim Gaffigan, like I told you about our fourth, the fifth transition, Jim Gaffigan, the comedian said, Do you, you wanna know what it's like to have a fourth kid? Imagine that you're drowning and then someone hands you a kid. <laughs> Right, and, that's, and you just you start to feel like it's a special kind of chaos being a parent and having a home, but it's also a special kind of joy, isn't it? Like there, there's there's nothing that is quite as exhausting and frustrating and just terrifying as being a parent, but there's also nothing that is quite as rewarding and just joy-filled as as being a parent. Um, Dwight L. Moody, um, who was a famous a famous evangelist, sort of a Billy Graham long before Billy Graham. Um, preached to thousands upon thousands, reached thousands upon thousands for Jesus. Uh, he's quoted at the end of his life saying, if I could relive my life, I would devote my entire ministry to reaching children for God. It's a bold statement from a man who is so, you know, accomplished in the, 
the ministry world. He said, if I could redo it, I'd invoke my entire ministry to reaching children for God. And, and what he's alluding to there is it's really impossible to overstate the opportunity and the privilege that we have to raise kids. And by raise, I do, we're going to talk a lot about the household today. But just as a quick plug, like even if you don't have kids, you have an opportunity to invest in the coming generations, right? There are families, there are kids back there in that wing whose dads have bailed on them and you can fill some roles and vice versa, moms, right? And so you can invest in and be a discipler of kids even if you're not a parent. However, however, um, the home is the primary place of which discipleship is supposed, to t- is supposed to happen. The home is the primary place in which Kids are supposed to be made disciples. It's not school. It's not the church. It it is actually the home. The the church exists to equip parents to come alongside and to walk with, but the the discipleship is actually supposed to take place primarily by the parents in the home. So as Paul is speaking to this church at Colossae, and that's what this is. If you're new uh, with us, we're walking through this book of Colossians, and this is a letter written by um, a, a church planning pastor um, named the Apostle Paul and um, some you know, one of his protégés, one of his disciples went out and planted this church and comes back to him for some advice. And so he sends this letter and he's speaking to first generation Christians, helping them learn how to walk out their faith and follow Jesus in the midst of everyday life. You ever find it challenging to get what, like what you feel here, like into, you know, into the Thursdays, right? Into the everyday, like just minutia and the challenges and the frustrations of life. And Paul is, is not skipping over that stuff. He's going to speak into the practical um, cracks and crevices of our life. And so he's going to talk about the home today. He's going to talk about uh, the dynamic between family or between children and parents. And so, um, and there is plenty to say. And and just as we get started, um, we need to just address this cultural nonsensical idea that kids just need to be able to discover themselves right? And that they don't need our guidance as parents. That's nonsense, right? It doesn't go well, right? You, like nature, I think Dwight Moody actually said this, nature itself only produces weeds, right? Like that if you just let a kid turn, like go and turn out, like it's not, you know, like two-year-old, right? You don't have to teach them to hit, like right now, my boy, he's two and a half. His little brother takes something from him. What's he do? He just goes over and punches him and takes it back. He wasn't even playing with that thing. He hasn't played with that thing in weeks. But now that little brother has it, he wants it, and he's going to punch him, lay him out, and then take it back from him. And then probably go set it down to do something else, right? He just doesn't want little brother to have it, right? I don't have to teach him that. That's just in him. That's just in our nature. We are rebellious, sinful humans, right? So no, we don't just let, we don't just let them go and be their friend and let them self-discover, right? And if they... You know, I'm, here's another, sorry. My little dude has three older sisters. I wouldn't plan on saying this, but guess what? He, he occasionally, like, you know, does what his sisters does. So it's not, it's not um, unheard of for him to come out of their room with, like, a dress on. Or even to go into their room and get the fingernail polish and paint his fingernails. Quite well, actually, and not even make a mess. It's pretty fascinating. It's two and a half. But he's done it. Now, some people in our world today would say, oh, he must, be, he must be a girl trapped in a boy's body. We need to let him discover that. Right? And I don't mean to be insensitive with anybody that is struggling with gender crisis stuff. But God made us with intentionality. And he has given the parents the role and the privilege to steward his little treasures called children and to point them to the Lord. So uh, if you don't believe me, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, folly is bound up in the heart of the child. Can anybody say amen? Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That, that's implying parents, you have a role to play in shaping and forming your kiddo. Uh, the more famous passage, Proverbs 13, 24 says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him, right? So Again, we have to make sure we're going to, you know, going to the Bible and letting that inform how we approach things in our life, not letting our cultural presuppositions and what we've been taught, you know, we don't want to read that into the Bible and then throw out things that disagree. We want to start with the Bible. And that does indeed say that we parents have a formative role to play in the shaping of our kids. So let's jump into our verses for today. This instruction is short, it's, short, it's just two verses, but it packs a lot of punch in it. We got to do some digging and some diving to get there. But let's jump right in. Verse 20 says simply, children, obey your parents in everything. 
for this is pleasing, or this pleases the Lord. Other translations uh, that I would lean toward actually says this is pleasing in the Lord. Okay, and that's important as we start this and any other conversation we've had about husband's wife and work next week and whatever, we have to remember that this is in the context of a new people who are in Christ Jesus. These are people who have died to their sins, right? Died to their old way of life and are living a new life with Jesus as the Lord. And so if Jesus is our Lord, he has a way of life for us to live that will lead to our flourishing, but we have to submit to him and live as such. And so that is very much the context of this. And it's so important when we come into, mar- or come into parenting to make sure we understand that we start with the gospel because if we don't allow ourselves, just like we've said earlier, like if we don't uh, allow ourselves to have a new identity, to be born again in Jesus, then we'll start looking for our identity in horizontal relationships. And man, kids, are, are, they fall prey to that all the time, don't they? Parents looking for their identity, for their value, for their worth in their kids, what their kids can bring. And so we want to make sure that, that we start by reminding ourselves that we're talking about in the Lord, a people who've been made new, a people who have an identity, who have been named and are secure in Jesus. And now we are free to live out our lives in the name of Jesus, in the glory of Jesus with others. And so that's so important to keep in mind as we approach this. But it says, children, obey your parents. Kids, I know that some of y'all, some of them went back there, so we just got the older, you know, preteens and, and teens in here. But here's the deal. And, and parents, we got to st- start here too. It, it's, it's a good thing for children to obey their parents. It's a good thing. Obedience to good authority leads to life. Okay, obedience to a good authority leads to life. Paul here is reflecting upon the fifth commandment. I think um, where Exodus 12, when God has given the, the Ten Commandments, he's saying, man, that is blurry and that is my fault. I did a different format today, so uh, don't, blame, don't blame Jess. So uh, obedience to good authority leads to life. The fifth commandment says this. It says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Paul in Ephesians, when it's the, sort of the parallel passage to this, when he's talking about the household in Ephesians 6, uh, makes the note that this is the first and only command with a promise. That this command, honor, the, honor your father and mother, obey them, and, and your days will be long, right? Like that there is a, there's a, there's a cause and effect there. Um, and so children obey for this is pleasing in the Lord. Okay. This is kingdom living. This leads to life because it's the restoration to how we were made to live, right? Us obeying to good authority is a restoration to how we were made to live in the first place. It's a restoration back to the garden of Eden. We were made to live in submission and obedience to God, the father. And by we, I'm not just talking about kids, like collectively, we as humans were made to live in submission and obedience to God, our father. So it's only a result of the fall that this, the idea of obeying carries a negative connotation. Right? Like we have to get over that because we think of obeying and we kind of have these negative things we've got to work through because we just naturally resist that, don't we? It's just in our hearts. It's important for us to remember as we start talking about how do we parent our kids to know that that same resistance to authority is in us. It's a heart issue, right? It's a heart issue. So we have to start there. So um, just like last week when we talked about marriage, uh, we had to start with the principle that marriage is not ultimately about us, but it's about the glory of God, right? Um, the same um, truth extends to this passage and probably even more deeply when it comes to the family. Parenting is not primarily about us. It's not even primarily about our kids and what our kids bring to us, right? Whether it be heartache or embarrassment or pride or endearment. As parents, we are tools in the hand of God, shaping one of his own into what he has made them to be. So when it comes to this idea of obeying, and it says that it pleases the Lord or it's a delight to the Lord when we do that, as kids, it, that is primarily, that's not just God getting a kick out of making people obey. There's some, you know, sadistic people that just really like to make people obey rules, right? Maybe you've worked for someone like that, right? Like they just want to give you rules because they really get a kick out of being in charge and they're on a power trip, right? That is not our, that is not God our father. I say this often, but when he gives us rules, he's never trying to take from us. He's always trying to lead us to life. That needs to be true of us as parents, and we'll get to that in a minute, but that needs to be true of us as parents. And so for kids, this leads to life, and it starts to pave the way and shape the heart to live a God-glorifying, fulfilling existence. And here's why. Because all of our lives are aimed at glorifying God. And in order to glorify him, we have to submit to him. 
Okay? In order to glorify God, we have to submit to him. So submission to authority is something we all have to learn. We, we looked at that a little bit last week. And we all know the people who never learned that, right? They're not fun to be around. Maybe they got some that work for you, right? Their parents never told them the word no. <laughs> work for somebody like that or work with somebody like that. It's not fun, right? We ha- I tell my kids often, like, hey, that, like it's mommy and daddy's job to teach you guys to obey, right? Because you, you're going to have to, like, at some point, the world's going to teach you that if we don't, right? I tell them, hey, daddy has authorities. I submit to the elders here, right? They're my authority. I, I submit to God. I have to submit and obey those authorities and, and at work in different places. Like there is a rhythm to that and there is a, a design to how God has made us. And so um, we saw last week in, in the Sermon on Marriage that uh, I think it's second, or no, 1 Corinthians 11 uh, talks about that the head of the man is Christ and the head of the woman is her husband and the head of Christ is God. And so whenever we talk about submitting and obeying, it's so important to realize that's image bearing 101, right? That that is a part of us being made in the image of God is that God is one God with three persons, right? Plurality of leadership, but with a headship, right? So God is the head, but he has the, the son and the spirit who are equal to him, but submit to him, right? And so, yes, women are called to submit to their husbands, but their husbands are called to submit to God or to Christ. And Christ has always been submitting to God. And so that we live in that Trinitarian image-bearing life whenever we enter into this submission. So it's that same theory, like it's that same theology that carries over into parenting, right? Where submission to the good authority of God is what we are made to do. So we have to train our kids in that. Tim Chester said that learning to enjoy your parents' authority is the first step towards welcoming God's authority. Learning to enjoy your parents' authority is the first step towards welcoming God's authority. So a doing authority work in your kid's heart is actually gospel work, right? Because God is our ultimate authority, but his amazing plan is to make his invisible authority known through giving visible representatives authority, right? So he is an authority, but we don't necessarily see him in that way. And so what does he do? He gives authority downline to his representatives. So we as parents, we have what Paul Tripp would call ambassadorial authority. Like that we actually don't have authority on our own. You ever felt like that? You're my kid, just do what I say, right? Yeah, I get it, but it's not really true. These are the Lord's kids, right? The only authority you have is not your own. You're speaking on the behalf of, of God, right? You are an ambassador for him. And so our kids are learning from us, right? So it is important. It is important that we do the work of authority with our kid's life. And I would even go so far as to say, we need to break the will of our kids, not their spirit. It's an important clarification, so people freak out on me. But their little will needs to be broken. Their sinful will in particular needs to be broken. Right? They need to learn that, that in order to live a good life, they have to submit to authority, right? And so we have to do that work, and it's best when you do it early on, amen? You don't wanna start battling for authority when your kid's a teenager. It's not going to go well. You do, those, you, you do that hard work right now when they're, when they're little, when they're two, three, you know, even earlier, right? They have to learn that they are not in charge. They are not the center of the universe. That's God's role, not theirs. That's God's role, not theirs. So we get the privilege of helping them be shaped in that way. I want to show you something from uh, um, Ted Tripp and Paul Tripp. They're brothers and they're both, I don't know what their family did, but I don't know if they really jacked them up and they both just learned, and, but they're both like speaking to parenting and pastoring and psychology. But anyway, they're helpful guys. You can look up some of their work. In fact, uh, one of their books is, is linked on your app. But um, Ted Tripps talks about, you know, a way to communicate this to our kids is that we, we, are, we are commanded to obey our parents. And within that, just like we as, his, as God's people are, are given his law, right? We're given the Ten Commandments. We're given the way to live. And, and he says very clearly, Derek referenced Deuteronomy earlier. He says very clearly, if you do this, it's going to lead to life, right? You live out this way, it'll lead you to life. But if you don't, if you disobey, it, it will lead to pain and destruction and death. Right? And so just to flesh this out a little bit more for a child's mind, I just kind of put this in perspective with the circle of blessing. Right? That the mom and dad are meant to be a good authority. And within that good authority, they're, they're seeking the good of the kids. And it, when the kids stay in that circle, right, whenever they're obeying and honoring their parents, the result is that they'll live a long life and things will go well for them. When a kid bucks against that and dishonors and disobeys and steps out, 
when we are disciplining, when we are disciplining, our job is to, is to show them that they are outside of that circle of blessing and that it's dangerous and that as parents, we have to bring them back in. And the way back in is through discipline, through correction, and then ultimately through repentance, right? We teach our kids to say sorry. We teach our kids to own their sin, and we bring them back into that circle of blessing, right? So there's more on that. Um, if, if you want to read the book, I, I would highly encourage you uh, to do, the, do so. The one that I have linked is just Parenting by Paul Tripp, but the other one is Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, and, and both are, are great insights. And, and we need to say quickly, because it says, it says, children, obey your parents in everything, and, and I know that taken out of context, that can seem dangerous, right? Because some parents aren't good authority, right? And they, they may tell children to do some really bad things. And so you, some of the children in here may be having questions, legitimate questions about, well, am I supposed to obey whenever my mom and dad tell me to do this? And you know it's out of step with the Lord. I think the similar principle aligns with what we looked at with headship last week, but also what we're called to do. We're called to obey government authorities as long as they don't cause us to disobey God's authority, right? So we're, we're to submit to and, and obey government authorities, their laws, right? Speed limits and things like that. As long as it doesn't cause us to disobey God, we, we do that. And so the same principle would apply here for, for kiddos. Um, first of all, this is speaking to a Christian home, a home that is in Christ. And this is speaking uh, you know, to parents that are supposed to be seeking to glorify God in their parenting. And so some of you don't have that. You still need to honor your parents. And where it doesn't lead you to dishonor the Lord, you still submit and obey. Okay, but where, if there's harm to be brought in that, if there's sin to be brought in that, absolutely ask for help. Absolutely don't stay in that cycle. You need to speak up. You deserve, you deserve as a kid, a safe home, right? You deserve someone caring for you the way that God has designed. So if you need to speak up, speak up, okay? We don't need to use this as a weapon to keep kids quiet in abusive situations, right? Okay, so <clears throat> the incentive then on the other side is... So children obey your parents, but just like last week, right? If people just stop there with the whole submit to your husbands, we get all kinds of, you know, bent out of shape. But you keep reading and you call, you see how God has called husbands to love their wives. The same is true here. Children obey your parents, yes, but fathers have some reciprocal instruction as well. It says, fathers, verse 21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So like the command we saw last week, they're, they're here it moves from kids to parents. Now, it says father specifically here in most of your translations. And, and I think that is Paul's focus. However, it is interesting that the actual word there is sometimes used to refer to both parents. It's the same word used in, in Hebrews 11.23 when it's telling the story about Moses and how his parents hid him um, and, and you know, put him down the river. It's talking about both parents and it uses the same word there. So it's possible that it's talking about both parents. Um, however, he does switch because he, he's just referenced children obey your parents and, and that is a word that only means parents. So he does switch here. So it does seem like there's a focus. However, I think that is, you know, culturally in this moment that the fathers are the, the, you know, the authority and the one responsible for our home. And, and that is still true within God's kingdom, right? That God is, is going to hold us as dads and as men responsible, right? We are, are, are accountable. I like to say it that way, that men are going to be accountable for their, the direction of their home. That doesn't mean they're responsible for every action, right? They're going to share that with their wives and even with their kids, but, but they are accountable, meaning God is going to step to us first. He's going to knock on our door and ask us to give us an account or give an account for the result of our family. So, so there is that emphasis. However, there is also, I think, the uh, permission within the text to extend that to fathers and mothers, Right, that culturally, yes, you know, our, our time has shifted a little bit, and I, and I don't think that's out of step where mothers have taken a more primary responsibility in the home. So yes, dads are account or accountable, but but both can be responsible, and so I don't think that's wrong. So we're gonna we're gonna speak of this as uh, as parents, right? Yes, an emphasis on the fathers, but we're gonna speak to this as parents, and perhaps there is, right, a, a, a greater proclivity for dads to be the ones who are provoking, right. We're probably a little more prone to that endless criticism and that harshness and that pushing, right? And so there's reasons for that, but we're going we're gonna to lay this over parents in general and draw out some, some principles for that. So this instruction seems pretty brief and narrow, doesn't it? Right? Don't, don't be harsh with them. Don't discourage them. You're like, all right, I mean, I don't think I do that. Is that all you got, Paul? Like, I guess I'll figure the other stuff out. Like, what do I do with their smart mouth? Like, you know what I mean? Like, this is not very helpful, right? It doesn't get into a lot of details, right? It seems very, you know... Um, very narrow, but the deeper we go, though, there's plenty to uncover, and we're actually going to let this launch us into a bit more of, um, 
some other, uh, we're, we're going to draw from some other insights in scripture uh, about parenting as well. So on the surface, we see this idea of parents. Um, it says, hey, don't be harsh, because if you are, it leads to discouraged and angry kids, right? Your translation may say that. The Ephesians parallel passage says, don't provoke them to anger, right? And so parents, we need to think through this. What does this mean to be harsh, right? The, the actual word there um, means to, to really provoke something, really to provoke this, this reaction, almost this accepting of a challenge, if you will, uh, that, that we, we can bring out in our kids, this provoking of, of rebellious spirit, where it gets to this point of, of like where, where children are, are coming against their parents. They, 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 they want to show them. They don't want to submit to them. And they, you, you've seen this, right? Maybe you've experienced this, right? And so with parents, we don't want to push to that end. We want to cultivate a home and a dynamic where it is, it is pleasing for the children, or it is easy and clear to see how it's, it's good for the children to please their parents. Now, it doesn't mean it's always going to work out well. It doesn't mean there's not going to be challenges, but we as parents should strive to make sure we're building a home and a culture where we're not so oppressive and harsh and overbearing with our kiddos that they buck against us just because that's where their spirit's leading them, because we're on them all the time or we're so harsh. And so I think harshness um, for parents is usually uh, rooted in a couple of different things, right? Rooted in. It, it's going to flesh out in, in different ways, but I think it's, it's rooted in one or two things or probably some hard to untangle combination of both. And I think for, for a lot of people, it, to be harsh with your kiddos is oftentimes rooted in our kids not having enough value in the grand perspective of our lives and in our hearts. What I mean by that is when, and a lot of times this is more in the moment than it is just posture, but when our kids don't have the, the right amount of value, man, I don't know why that turned out so bad. I guess I put the wrong like dimensions in it. So I am sorry, you're not drunk. It's just bad, bad uh, design. But our kids, if they don't have the right amount of value in, in, the, you know, in our hearts, then that's gonna lead to them becoming an inconvenience and a frustration for us, all right? And again, most of the time, this is in the moment, not a, this grand posture. But what I mean by that is whenever we forget that they are a kid and that our job is to form them into adults, we can lose perspective and we get frustrated. And a lot of times in the moment, we just need to make dinner, don't we? Right? And our kids aren't, they don't seem to know that and they don't seem to care that we have an agenda and we have a time crunch. Or maybe you, you know, you just needed to get to church, right? You needed to leave on time this morning. Anybody else fight on the way here? Like, you know, get in the car, like it's getting to church, getting to school can be just like, it can be chaos for some families, right? Because kids don't understand, you're, you're trying to get something done, right? And so if we forget and they don't have the right amount of value, we can get frustrated with them. And I think it's easy to see how this can become discouraging for kids. I'll give you one example from, from my life. Um, so I, I grew up on a, a farm with a, with a stepdad, just simple country boys, and we just fished with like live bait and bobbers. Anybody else? Like that's all we did. We didn't have the fancy like reels and artificial lures. That just wasn't how we rolled. So like, yeah, you know, catfish, bluegill, that's what we did. Um, and then as soon as I started meeting my real dad and then even my stepdad now, who, who I love both of them, and I don't mean to paint them in a negative light, but they were like bass boat owning, um, you know, artificial lures, the fancy reels, right? I don't even know how to work. I don't know what they're called. But anyway, so I'm a teenager and I start going fishing with them and like, Quickly, I've got the reel all kinds of jacked up, right? Like it's just a big wad of stuff. I can't cast it anymore, right? So he's just now started to get the fish. He's got to come back here and fix it for me. And then I finally learned how to cast it. Now I'm throwing it in the tree and I've lost the lure, right? So I'm trying to learn how to fish, but now I've lost the lure. And so what would happen is they didn't have time or they wouldn't take the time to teach me how to use it and teach me how to retire lure. They just take it from me and do it themselves. And then, you know, hope I did better next time. And you know what? I don't like fishing to this day. It's not my thing, right? I don't like it. It's kind of ruined it for me. And I think that principle plays out, right? Where when you're, when you're harsh, when you're impatient, whenever you're just frustrated in the moment, you lead to discouraging your little kid's heart, right? You, you lead to kind of squashing that. And so that can play out, you know, dinner time. My girls, they always want to cook, right? But not always. Sometimes they want to cook. Usually when you're in a hurry, right? They want to crack the eggs. They want to do the thing, Right? Be intentional about that. Be intentional about that. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to let them just jump in and crack every egg. You might actually have to just say, you know what? Right now, sweetie, 
well, I just need to go ahead and make this one. But you know what? Let's plan for tomorrow. We'll make pancakes together or we'll do this together, right? And, and we'll be able to slow down and create space, right? So it's not this dismissive, get away, get out of my face kind of thing, but rather it's this inviting into, hey, not going to be able to right now, but let's make space for that. Or maybe you are able to right now, right? But if you just have the right perspective, if your kid's not, you know, in, your, in the way of your task, then you may be able to just say, you know what? Come on up here. Let's crack this egg. Like, let's make a mess of dinner. It'll be fine. It'll be fun, right? So we need to have that posture toward our kids where they have right value in our life, where we don't put them below our task or our, our agendas or our idols, right? Or what we're trying to accomplish, we make sure that they matter and make sure they are able to know that they matter in those moments, okay? All right, and then I think secondly, though, um, the, the second way in which leads us to be harsh with our kiddos is actually the other direction whenever they have too much value in our hearts, Right? When our kids become our idols and they become our identity, we can be so oppressive and so like just all over them with expectations and with what we want them to do and what they've got to do and they've got to make these grades and they've got to get this done and they've got to play these sports and they said they were going to play it and now they're not playing it and you're embarrassed, right? Right? And, and they, now they're, they're putting your reputation on the line and now you get real sensitive, Right? And now you get angry, and now you're harsh. And we forget, it's not, it's not about us. Our kids, it's not about what they can do for us. It's not about us living vicariously through them. No, it's us meeting them where they are and helping to cultivate the kind of human, the kind of Christ follower that God has called us, or that God has made them to be. That, that idea there is, is used, again, I think it's 2 Corinthians, when Paul is talking, to, stirring this church to action, to, to jump in for the kingdom. And, and uh, one of the commentators talked about to encourage a person is to be creative. You think about some of the best coaches or teachers that you had, they weren't just cookie cutter, everybody do this, right? They were able to meet an individual and meet a student where they were and bring out the best in them. You, have you, you, can you think of somebody that did that for you? Right? They spent a little extra time with you. They invested in you. That should be us as parents. It says to, to encourage a person is to be creative and to stir him to do and be what otherwise would never be achieved. And the result of the irritable parent is to, be, is to produce discouraged children in the sense that they are fearful and timid and shy and lacking and they just don't have normal self-confidence. Right? So this commentator goes on to say, so it's no use for such a father to bemoan the inability of his children to be strong and self-reliant like himself when he's used his own strength to crush and undermine his kids. Okay? We have to make sure we have perspective. We have to make sure we understand that our job is to raise them into functioning humans. We're going to have to give them space to make decisions. We're going to have to give them space to fail. We're going to have to give them space to discover their giftings, to discover their callings. And if we're all over them with our expectations <clears throat> and what we want to see happen, and, and if, if our fears are projected onto them, they feel that. F kids feel that. You can crush them. It's a terrible place to go for your identity. Not only are they sinful little demons, like you got to work that out of them so you don't want to just take them your identity, but also they're sinful, broken people, right? Like, and... and they're our responsibility to, to grow up into who God has called them to be, right? So we got to have that perspective in mind. And they may not like to play football, Dad. And that'll be all right. They may not get straight A's. That also will be all right. Right? They may not give a snot about the sport you love. They may not want to wear clothes and dress up and look like, okay? It doesn't mean we don't have any rules. We don't have expectations. We don't, but we got to be creative and we got to be intentional. We got to meet each kid where they are and draw out what God has made them to be and help them discover that. It's not easy. I don't mean to say that it is. It's complicated. It's dynamic. It's complex. Amen? And you're going to have to apologize and start over often. We want to make sure that we're not being harsh because we're putting our identity in our kids 
or we're trying to get our identity out of what our kids are supposed to be, right? <clears throat> you have to go back to the beginning of this chapter and let Christ identify you. Let Christ give you an identity. And then, and then you've got a much better chance of giving your kids what they need. Because <clears throat> when you get your identity from Jesus, it frees you from trying to wring it out of your kids, right? So don't let the culture in your home, don't be harsh with your kids lest it becomes discouraging. Don't let the culture in your home get to where kids are weary and burdened at the thought of pleasing you. We need to seek to build a culture where they delight and get life to obey, just like us with the Lord. I'm not saying that gets there quickly. I'm not saying that one good day or one good pep talk with your kiddos is going to make them delight in pleasing you. It won't. But you want to seek to build a culture. Instead of powering up and raising voices to get what you want, instead we seek to build a culture that paints this picture of blessing, paints this picture of why we obey and invites our kids into that, corrects them with firm discipline when they don't, but we make sure they know the posture of their parents. Uh, the same word here, har- you know, to be harsh, is, um, is this verb, arethico, and, and, and it's used, again, interestingly, or it's used in Deuteronomy 21.20 in this really interesting passage um, that Paul, some commentators think Paul is kind of referring back to, where it's this picture of, of Old Testament Israelites and somebody bringing their adult child before the elders and saying, he won't obey. He doesn't listen, he's a glutton and a drunkard, and he will not obey. He's hard-hearted, he's stubborn, and we don't know what to do with him. And it's Old Testament stuff, but they actually take him out and stone that dude as an example for the rest of the community. So that's, don't do that to your kids. It's a bad move. But we're in the New Covenant. We've got, we got some more work to do. But, but the idea and that language there is, is that spirit has been provoked in that, in that young man where he just won't listen. He doesn't want to. And it, and it kind of becomes personal toward the parent. And so what Paul is saying here, I think, is is we should do everything we can to avoid our kids coming into that place of this provoked rebellion, of this provoked posture of coming against their parents. So this passage is actually packs more of a punch than just even on the surface um, because it's this idea of not turning them into someone who hates you, right? And then by, by your rules and then by extension hates God. Because right, if you're doing all this in the name of a Christian family and you're so oppressed, like the, plenty of kids have left the faith, let, walked away from the church because of this just smothering existence that happened in their home. So Ephesians 6.4, again, the parallel passage, adds the statement to bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke your kids to anger, but rather to bring them up in the instruction and the admonition and, uh, and the discipline of the Lord. Now, part of that certainly means to teach them about the things of the Lord. But I think most importantly, it means to bring them up in the same manner in which God brings us up. Okay? So as we looked at before, successful parenting is not about what you produced. It's first about what you have done. Successful parenting is not about achieving goals that are out of your hands. They're, right? It's out of your power and out of your hands and out of your ability to create the kind of person that you hope your kids end up being. You need to acknowledge that. And that'll drive you to your knees. That'll cultivate a spirit of dependency and faith in parenting. Because it's out of your control. It's out of your power, ultimately. Now, he wants to use you, for sure. And that's what parenting is about, is being a usable and faithful tool in the hands of the one who is able to produce the good things in your children. Okay? We need to admit that. And it's about us being powerful and usable tools and faithful tools to produce what God has made our children to be. So, I want to end with just looking at a few ways that we can parent like our Heavenly Father. Okay, because that's kind of the idea, right? Bring them up in the instruction and the admonition and the discipline of the Lord. Okay, well, how do we do this? Let's just look at how God cares for us. Let's, let's apply some of these principles. This is not exhaustive by any means. I, I, you know, we could preach a whole series and, and still there'd be a lot of questions. And so there's plenty of material. I've, I've put a couple of resources on your app. One about, hey, what, what do you do whenever, you know, your parenting doesn't work, right? You thought you did everything right and your kids still you know, walk away and put some other resources on there. So I'd encourage you to do some more exploring, but I think let's just, let's look at this together as, as some ways that our Heavenly Father parents us that can help us as we approach our kids. So the first one is to make sure that we're majoring on their heart and who they are before we're getting to their behavior. That is, that is exactly how God loves us. That is exactly how God talks to us. We talked about it in Colossians. He spends the first, um, 
part of the book and, and, and really rhythms in this chapter of, of, of saying who we are, who God is, what he's done for us, what that makes us in him before he gets to the behavior of how we are supposed to live. Right? So we want to make sure that our children know who they are to us before we start talking about their behaviors. We want to make sure that we, like God, always start with what is true before we get into what we're supposed to do. Right? We, theologically, the indicatives come before the imperatives. We indicate what is true before we get into what the commands are. For our kids to rightly receive and grow from our discipline, they need to know that they are loved. They need to know that we are for them. They need to know that we would do anything to protect them and that they are treasured, and that they are safe. They need to know all of those things set not just by one speaking of it, but by a rhythm and actions over and over again. When they're little, I mean as small as when they cry, you come. You're teaching them that they're cared for. Right? When you give them what they need, you're teaching them. You're shaping their heart. And over time, that produces a foundation of which they are able then to receive the instruction about their behavior. But if you don't major on their belovedness to you, it will result in them being discouraged. You're going to major on that. Make sure they know that they are beloved. Now, it doesn't mean discipline is going to be easy, right? Hebrews says, no discipline's fun in the moment. Not enjoyable, but in the end, it produces a harvest of righteousness. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but we have to build that foundation, make sure we're majoring on who they are, who their heart is to us before we get into behaviors, right? Secondly, um, God created a world of yeses for us, so let's do all that we can to create a world of yes for our kids. Now, this is going to be hard for some of you, right? It's going to be really hard for some of you, but let's read. I, I want you to just hear. So often we talk about what, uh, Adam and Eve weren't supposed to do. They weren't supposed to eat of that one tree, right? I want you to hear from Genesis 1. It's going to be blurry on the screen if you just want to turn there. Genesis 1, 28 through 30 says, listen to the world that God created for us to live in. Listen to the yeses that are in this. Verse 28 of Genesis 1, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, hey, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Imagine, like, you think about the boundaries that you give your kiddos, right? Don't go here. Like, listen, God's saying, fill it, go, enjoy, and have dominion. You see the fish and the birds, you got dominion over it. Verse 29 says, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. There's a whole lot of yeses. It's a world full of yeses. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he'd made. Behold, it was good. That is the world that he creates for us. And so we, again, this doesn't mean that we don't tell our kids no. It doesn't mean there's not rules. But we need to do all that we can, parents, to be intentional about creating a culture and a world of yes. Okay? So you need to think about what are the things that you just are always saying no to. Some of you, that can be let go of. Is it really going to hurt them if they, you know, climb up on the couch and jump off when they're two? Or is it, you know, I don't know what your example of that is, or if they throw a throw pillow, at, you know, for fun, or if they're playing in the house, or, you know, I, I don't know. Some of that can just be let go of. Others might need to be changed. You might need to go, you know what? We really can't play that game in here, but you know what? Let's go set up this room in a way that we can. Right, let's take all the cushions off the couch and let's go in here. Let's take the, all the, you know, the d decor down. Right, you know what? We can play that, but you're going to have to go around and help me set down all these picture frames before we do. Right? Maybe that's what you got to do, but create a world of yes so that your kids can, can know that the majority of the time when they come to mom and dad, the answer is going to be yes. And when mom and dad have to say no, when mom and dad have to say no, the kids know it's out of love for them. Right? So you got to be intentional about that because just in the moment, your flesh is going to want to say no to a lot. Right? You got to be creative about that. But I believe that it is a good principle for us to create a world, an Eden-like experience for our kids as much as we can, create a world of yes. This is just not a season for our house to be decorated. Our two little boys are nuts. And if we tried to have stuff out, we'd be on them all the time. We'd be nervous wreck. We should don't. Maybe later. <laughs> right? Maybe later. 
That's not, you don't, that's us. I'm not saying that's how your house has to be, but you think about your kids and you think about how can I make this a world of yes? How can I make space? My kid's always asking to do this. My kid's always asking to play video games with me. My kid's always asking to go to this store and buy this one little thing. And we never have time in our schedule. You know what? You as a parent, set aside time, figure that out, schedule that. Schedule a date with your kids and, and do the thing that they're always asking for you to do. And, and this is not me saying you don't ever give, you don't tell your kids no, right? It's not me saying that. They need to have rules, they need to have structure, they need to understand the world doesn't revolve around them. That's God's place. But as much as we can, let's create a world of yeses. Thirdly, be consistent. Hebrews 13.8 says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, you won't hold that line, but you should aim for it. Aim to be consistent. Kids aren't microwavable. They're not going to be done quickly. It's not going to happen. It's going to take some time. Over time, they will be formed. Over time, it will nurture is king. It will win out over nature. Right? Over time, it takes time. We won't be able to get it done quickly. It will happen over long periods of consistent instruction and discipline will make the difference. If your kids can know how you're going to respond, right? Yes, there's going to be times when you lose it, you raise your voice, you react out of anger. In those times, you have an opportunity to speak to your kiddos, repent, have conversations with them. But as much as we can hold it, let's be consistent. Let's be consistent with our responses. Let's be consistent with our rules. Let's be consistent with our posture. Let's be consistent with our fun. Be consistent. And then lastly, no condemnation. No condemnation. Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. And that's what this is talking about, kingdom living. Make sure that the way you speak to your kids is intentional. Make sure that in the moment you don't react and, and say things in such a way that when you're supposed to be confronting a behavior, you're condemning a person. Make sure that when you confront a behavior, you're not accidentally condemning a person. What do I mean by that? Too many of you, let's just start here. Too many of you carry wounds from your own parents because of what they spoke over you, because of the way they spoke to you in front of other people, because of what they called you or said about you. So many of you were said that you were lazy, that you were dumb, that you were distracted, that you were you know, fat, that you were not athletic. Fill in the blank. You remember what was spoke over you and it bears with you into this day. You need to be intentional about your words with your kids so that there is not condemnation because they will remember. It will shape them. Right? I remember, I don't know if this was original to Pastor Darren, but I remember it was so helpful whenever he used to teach on the difference between conviction and condemnation because God, our Father, convicts us. He sees behaviors, tendencies, sins in us and he calls them out. But that's specific. That's, that's him saying, hey, this thing in you, we got to deal with it. It's not in line with who you are. You're mine. So this thing, it's not in line. we got to work on it. Condemnation is different because it says, hey, you are bad. You are wrong. And that's, that, that's Satan's words. That's how Satan speaks. He convinces you that you, as a person, as, a, as an individual, are wrong. God speaks to us and says, hey, you are my individual. You are my beloved. And as my beloved, I'm going to work on this with you because this behavior, it'll kill you. I don't want that, so let's work on it. We need to make sure we're approaching our kids that way. So don't, don't say that they are lazy. Don't say that they are a brat. Instead, get down and say, hey, you're mine. And as my, as my kiddo, and as a child of God, this behavior is not okay. We gotta do something about it, okay? So daddy, mommy is gonna discipline you in this way. And I love you and I don't wanna do this, but it's my job. God's put me here to be the good authority for you, so we're gonna do this, right? But it's not that they are these things, it's that the, these things are there and we have to work on it, right? So. No condemnation. All right, parents, listen, I can only imagine the broad spectrum of emotions, fears, regrets, and hopes that are just scattered through a room like this during a topic like this. I don't pretend to be an expert. My kids are still young, and if I'm honest, I'm terrified. I am terrified of what's coming. I'm terrified of being dad to three teenage daughters at the same time. So I cannot speak to every scenario and situation but I know the one who can, and I know that, that while there is breath in their lungs and in yours, it's not too late. 
It's not too late. So the altar, frankly, should be full today because nothing reminds us of our need for you know, faith and, and someone greater than ourselves quite like parenting does. So come to him, repent, cry out, and then be prepared to go to your kids and do the same. Own your failures, lead out in, recon- in reconciliation, initiate relationships like Jesus did for us. For parents of adult children, don't dismiss this as not relevant or too late. If you're seeing things that you've done wrong or could have done better, go to them and own it and repent to them. And, and listen, ask them and the Lord for their forgiveness. Like, it could mean the world to them. So many parents have, have failed when they were young, and, and some of you have met the Lord since then, and, and you don't even think your kids care. Listen, I could tell you from conversations after conversations with adult men who've had strained relationships with their dad, if their dad were to come to them and tell them that they're proud of them, like, it could be so life-giving for them. So many women are, are living their life in the struggles that their mom has put on them that what you're feeling and what you've struggled with is because your mom was always on you and had these expectations for you and you've never lived up to them and so now you're doing that to your kids and you're hoping that your kids will will be able to fulfill what you couldn't and listen, don't underestimate the value of going to those, those adult children and owning that and asking for forgiveness. Kids, if you're here, like I get it, the variety of responses, I'm sure some of you are totally indifferent toward this, right? That probably means you got good parents. Right? And you're you're taking it for granted. Others of you are acutely aware of what's been missing in your home, right? There's kids that that you know, like your parents don't love the Lord, and you're not sure if they like, like, you long for parents who care and love the Lord and you. For you, know that the Lord sees you. Your parents might not. The world may not seem to, but the Lord sees you. And he cares. And it could be that he brought you here to this church so that the body, this body of Christ can help fill in the blanks left by your parents' absence or failure. So pretending that you're not affected isn't, it's not a good strategy. So reach out to a youth leader, reach out to one of your elders, whoever you feel safe talking to, and let us wrap around you. Listen, it's a big task. It's a big like there's a lot of layers to it. You're thinking about what, you know, how you were parented and how you're struggling and how you I get it. So let's just come to the Lord. We have an opportunity to respond. The band's going to come up and lead us in another song. The altar is here to be used to come and, and be prayed for. Maybe you need to go. Maybe your parents here today. Maybe you need to go to them and wrap your arms around them and say thank you. Maybe your kids here today. Maybe you need to go to them and, and say I'm sorry. Maybe you need to go to them and say let's pray. Maybe I don't know, but let's respond together. Let's come to the only one who does have the answer for all of the situations that are out there. And let's come to him in response. God, I ask that you would meet us here by your grace, not because we deserve it, but by your grace, and that you would come and be our good father in the midst of uh, this overwhelming privilege and opportunity of, of being parents and having parents and all the dynamics that are in between. So I pray that you would come, Lord. Come and, and speak to us collectively as a church. May we live out this kingdom mindset, this kingdom value of being parents that Understand we're here to steward your children, your treasures. Help us, Lord. Help us live that out collectively and then help come and speak to wounds and challenges and pains and hopes that are here in this place individually. We ask these things in your name now. Amen.